I'm Jill Shaw, here with Ross Wilson, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Boston Public Schools School Committee met yesterday, April 30th. The meeting lasted over about 33 hours and 34 minutes, and we're here to share the highlights. Good morning, Ross. Good morning, Jill. How are you? I'm well. Are you doing well today? Yes, doing very well. Thank you. So that was that was a pretty brief one. Um, so I'm curious, do you have a headline for last night's meeting? Um, you know, if you ask me for a headline, I would say the headline would be, it's unanimous. Um, the last night at school committee, there was a number of votes that we, we can talk about um, that um, were all unanimously voted uh, and approved. Um, so we, we can go through each one, um, and each one I think is, is pretty important. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that there were, you know, as well, we can discuss this as we go through it, but, um, you know, as folks went around to place votes, there seemed to be a lot of caveats and then a yes vote, which I just thought was was an interesting dynamic um, during last night's meeting. Um, the meeting began with the superintendent's report where Superintendent Brenda Casilius gave an update on school meals, technology, and DESI guidance. Ross, what did she say? Well, the superintendent gave um, gave an update on school meals uh, with a very impressive number that the, that there's been 300,000 uh, school meals served since the closing of school, um, which which is really significant. I think this is across BPS schools, uh, YMCA sites, and uh, community center sites across the city. Um, there, there also uh, superintendent noted that there's they're about to surpass 100,000 meals delivered door to door to families. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, they're serving about 15,000 meals a day with about four to 4,500, 4,500 meals delivered directly to doors. So, so that's, that's, that's really important news. Um, you know, I'm just doing back of the envelope calculations here. Uh, we serve about 55,000 meals per day when students are in school. So it's been 32 days. So it's about... 17% of what we're normally doing um, when school is in session. I do think it's incredible that we are figuring out how to get meals delivered to the door uh, through our work. We know that there are many kids who are stuck at home while parents are out working um, who are scared to go out. And um, so it's really important to figure out the proper distribution. And it's, I know how hard it is. Um, so this is a great update and, and it seems to grow every during every report, which means that they're working very hard on a solution, so it's wonderful. Right. So, so as you know, Jill, there's um, clearly the, the the meals that we're serving um, at these sites um, are are just a fraction of what we typically would serve when we're in school to students. Um, and so, one one has to wonder how are students getting fed um, in in other ways. And so, right. I mean, that's that's an outstanding question that we should spend some more time on and, and it would be good for the school community to spend some more time on um, ensuring that all the students' needs are being met and they all have access to uh, to fresh, healthy food. Yeah. I, I mean, for, for students in our city, 70% live at poverty and it's a critically important piece of the puzzle to make sure that as many of them can be fed through our school food program are, are reached and, and are fed. Um, so that'll be an important number to watch. She also um, talked about technology. Right. So, so the superintendent noted that there's um, an, an also another really impressive figure that uh, the district has distributed more than 30,000 Chromebooks um, since remote learning has started on March 17th. And, and, and the district also has provided over 2,400 hotspots 
so this is this is remarkable. Um, yeah. You know, there's about 54,000 students in the district, um, and and over 30,000 Chromebooks have been distributed. Really, uh, really remarkable. Yeah. So it's great. So um, it sounds like infrastructure is starting to get be set in place, and and now the question is, how long will we need to use this infrastructure, and um, how well uh, can can we move a, a giant school system to to use this um, infrastructure? Right. So the superintendent also noted that there'll be a new remote learning plan um, launched on May 4th, on Monday, May 4th, um, and that this is um, essentially the district has has come to an agreement with the Boston Teachers Union on a memorandum, memorandum of understanding um, about work conditions with teachers working remotely. Um, we can cover that in, 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 uh, in a little bit. Um, superintendent also noted that uh, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education released guidance on remote learning expectations and prioritization of standards for learning um, and that the district is working with those to ensure that they're aligned and that um, there's also professional development that teachers are engaging in um, up to five hours across the district to help them um, with the remote learning practices that will begin on Monday. Um, Superintendent also noted that uh, there are dashboards uh, available um, uh, to school leaders and teachers that help them understand who, what students are logging in, what students are doing, when they're logged in to online learning, um, and we could begin to have a better snapshot here of, um, you know, probably school by school, grade level, um, uh, also achievement gap uh, um, uh, measures to see, are we engaging all of our students equally in remote learning? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's interesting, right, when you have to work on a contractual basis with a, a large entity like the teachers union, I understand why you have a baseline set of expectations. But then if I think about the different schools in our district and the different students and the different needs that need to be served and and how much teachers actually know, you know, about their classes, um, it seems like teachers are going to be doing different things based on who their students are. Um, and that that baseline really is, should be just treated like a baseline, right? But, but, but we're going to have to rely on schools and, and teachers to dig deep and know exactly how to serve their particular student body. Yes, this is going to be important to keep track of. And I, and I hope the school committee will ask questions um, about data, about um, how students are being engaged and how students are being assessed with remote learning um, as, as we're in this uh, through the end of the school year. Yeah. Um, and speaking of end of the school year, uh, Jill, the superintendent did note that she's going to appeal to DESE to allow the district to, um, to end the school year um, on the same date that was planned. So I believe it's uh, June 25th, I think is the date. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's just interesting here that, you know, we're, we're, uh, we've missed a, a lot of learning. Uh, we're learning remotely and, and probably at a fraction of what we would be engaging our students in if we were in school. Um, and we're, discussing um, wanting to end the school year on the same date that was originally planned. I would argue here that this would, you know, this crisis and this pandemic calls for thinking differently. And we really should be thinking about how do we learn, extend the year and how do we learn through the summer uh, to make up for, for learning loss. Um, right. So I just thought it was interesting that superintendent noted they'll be appealing to DESE to keep the same uh, school end date um, despite the crisis we're experiencing. Hmm, that's an interesting point. Well, so a number of school committee members had questions uh, about the superintendent's report. Um, Ms. Robinson 
kicked that off. Um, she was talking uh, specifically about um, expectations of families and um, and 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 this in the schools committee, the school committee's expectation, the BPS's expectation of families, um, and that she had been hearing um, from a number of families who are having a very hard time keeping up. She was talking about families working hard to just meet their basic human needs around food and shelter and, um, and uh, technology access and um, that it was very complicated. Um, so what did you think about that conversation with the, with the superintendent? Yeah. So what, what we heard last night from, from, from Ms. Robinson um, and a few other school committee members was that they're, they're concerned about families, mental health and families ability to manage this remote learning um, mm. that many were frustrated by um, both, both uh, sort of the inequities between schools and classrooms with what they're supposed to be engaging in um, with communications around student schedules and logins. Um, and, uh, and, and overall the superintendent responded by saying that there'll be um, new supports and real supports coming in the next wave um, that will be starting on Monday. Um, we, we heard a little bit about there'll be, there'll be something related to parent university or, um, and, and through surveying to find out how to respond to families' needs. Um, but we certainly understand here that families are stressed and um, clarity around what the learning plan is and what the expectation is and really consistency for the student experience is really important. So, um, you know, having a consistent schedule every day, knowing that the teachers are engaging students every day at the, at the same time, um, and understanding what students should be learning and how we're assessing are all important things to discuss as we enter the new phase of remote learning. Yeah, and you know, and I thought it was an interesting point that was made about the fact that, you know, not only not only do we have teachers on staff, but we have um, occupational therapists, we have physical therapists, we have a um, number of mental health professionals, and um, that the school system is thinking about how to leverage all of, and they're already using um, um, telehealth technologies to serve our students, but really how do we ramp up and um, provide those professionals with the professional development support they need so that we can really amp up um, different supports for, for students who need them. So then we moved on to uh, Michael O'Neill and who had visited a couple of sites to see the school food program um, in process. I loved that he did a shout out to Katie's Closet who's doing incredible and super important work um, to delivering toiletries and other essential items to students uh, throughout the school system. Um, and then and then he talked a little bit about um, coordinating schedules and some of the things that he was hearing from um, different constituents. He also talked about graduation. Uh, what did you think about what Michael said? Sure, so, so um, Mr. O'Neill raised um, concerns about an update on grading and on high school graduation and on coordinated schedules, all things that he's been hearing from the community. Um, the superintendent noted that, again, there'll be a, a new plan on, on Monday, May 4th, and she'll bring the details of that plan to the committee. Um, I thought it was interesting. The plan will be launched on Monday, but the committee, I guess, will be receiving details of that plan um, at their next committee meeting, which will be in, in a couple of weeks. Um, the, uh, in terms of grading, I, I believe they're still negotiating 
what grading should look like. Yeah. Um, and and they're still essentially creating the they're working on creating the coordinated and consistent schedules for students. Um, and the superintendent noted how, how hard her team was working to make sure that things were standardized uh, across schools. Yeah. Should they be standardized given how differently schools operate and, and um, you know, their missions and the students that they serve? Well, well, I think there is a role for standardization here around um, what we've been talking about with mass core and, and common graduation requirements um, and, and, and common ways that we should be assessing student learning. What are the best mm-hmm. practices going on there? Um, you know, the, we can get into a little bit about about the re- remote learning and best practices here, but you know, I I, I have not seen um, you know really great models of remote learning um, happening. And this is again, this is a new thing um, that we're all experiencing together, and we're trying to catch up with. Um, yeah. I actually, you know, my my belief around this, Jill, is that you don't get to innovation and best practices by um, ensuring that everybody is operating at the least common denominator in a district, you know, so mm-hmm. basically making sure everyone's doing the, the baseline together. Um, that's not how you actually achieve innovation and best practices. The way you achieve innovation and best practices is, is going to your teachers and your schools and highlighting the learning that's happening and those best practices and helping those spread around the district. So yeah. rather than a top-down approach and sort of the, the standardization uh, approach, um, I really believe innovation comes from within our amazing teacher workforce and, and, and some of our amazing schools. Right. And so, and so really what you're advocating for or what you would be advocating for is, is that there, we're doing a lot of knowledge sharing amongst um, teachers who have embraced this technology and are bringing interesting ways of using it to teach kids and to help progress learning while everyone is stuck in their homes. Uh, that's right. And not only, you know, clearly within our district, we have an amazing expertise. Um, there's also amazing expertise around us in the industry, in our higher higher ed universities, um, as well as our partner districts around the country who are yeah. all in the same position and all learning together. Yeah, that's a good point. So um, after, after those comments, uh, we moved um, to public comment. There are a number of folks who um, were signed up to speak about um, student private privacy policy. Uh, there were some comments about the DESE MOU. Was was there anything in particular that um, stood out to you uh, during the public comment section of the meeting? Sure, I, there was a couple of things. One, um, there was a comment made early on by Chairman Lacanto that uh, that people who have signed up for public comments um, around the student privacy policy. You know, really, it doesn't make sense for them to be making comments at this meeting since the school committee is not voting on a new policy. If you recall our last meeting, um, yeah. there was a lot of concern and questions amongst the community and among school committee members pushing back against the policy that was brought to them by BPS. Yeah. Um, and so Chairman Lacanto said was very clear, there is not a new policy that BPS is not ready to present an amended policy. Um, and so there really is no need for um, for community members to come out and and make comments about it, that privacy policy. It did sound like there were a number of people who were lined up and who and a couple of people did still speak on the topic. Um, and I, I think it's important to note um, how passionate people are that we get this right. Sure, sure. I mean, there, Jill, there was 160 people who logged into this meeting last night. Yeah. Um, that, is, that is a large number of people for, for a school committee meeting. 
Um, and so clearly, maybe they logged in for to hear more information about students the student um, privacy policy. Uh, there was also um, conversation, which it, it, it was unclear, but there were some personnel matters um, that may have happened in the district that that school members, community members were coming to the school community to talk about. Um, and yeah. there was a clear comment made by both the superintendent and the chairman of the school committee that it wasn't appropriate to, do, to be discussing personnel matters um, at the school committee meeting. So uh, I'm not sure, you know, the superintendent alluded to that she was making some changes to school leader positions, potentially, and that mm -hmm. she was going to bring those to the committee at a later date. Um, but apparently there were people uh, interested in signing up and speaking about um, maybe some of these decisions that the superintendent made. Yeah. Now, and also the other time that um, Mr. Lacanto spoke during public comment was about the um, memorandum of understanding with the Department of Education. He talked very specifically about um, not referring to this as a state takeover and trying to clarify what the Kaleidoscope Network was, um, which was also discussed in the last meeting. Um, it, I, I've never heard, actually, him or the superintendent interject during public comment. What did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly, this is an issue um, that they were concerned about. And they wanted to make sure that people had clarity that the DESE MOU is um, not a state takeover, but it's an agreement um, between EPS and and the Department of Elementary and Secondary Edu Education, um, and that the Kaleidoscope Network is a professional development uh, opportunity. And, um, and and but he did say, which is very interesting, Chairman Lacanza said that the school committee would be voting on the DESE MOU in the future. Um, and so I was intrigued by that. Um, there already is a signed memorandum of understanding between the district and the state. Hmm. Um, but yet the he, he, Chairman LaCanto said that they would be voting on that MOU um, at a later date. So I, I'm really curious as to what that means and, um, and why I said that. Yes, I heard that as well. Um, so and then and then Mr. Mudd also commented uh, on Mr. the strategic and <laughs> the operating plan, which we'll get into in a second because there was a there was a vote on it. Um, but I, I think he expressed the same concern he's had a number of times, and so uh, it, it seems that he doesn't see his concern being addressed. I think it's really important. I mean, uh, um, I, I always learn a lot from listening to John Mudd, um, and he, you know, he I agree with him. He he was. Um, very complimentary of the superintendent's focus on um, opportunity and achievement gaps in, in her strategic plan. Um, he, what he raised concerns about what were really the, the um, implementation of the strategic plan. He thought the operating plan that was presented at the last school committee meeting um, was uh, needed some, he, he thought could use some work and he was concerned really about how do we actually make this happen? Right? How do we do this work that's laid out in these commitments and, and the action steps? And, and we, as we've discussed, there's many action steps in this operating in the strategic plan. And Mr. Mudd was, was basically expressing, how are you going to implement this? And Mr. Mudd has been around for, uh, for, for quite a few different superintendents' leadership and quite a few strategic plans. Um, and I think what he was expressing was, um, I've seen great plans before, um, and what I haven't seen is implementation. Yeah. Uh, so I, I thought it was, a, it was a really interesting and important comment. 
Yeah. I mean, the devil's in the details on this, right? Like, how does it get executed? What, what, where do we think we are right now? And where do we want to be? And, and making sure that everyone's on the same page uh, in terms of, of where we're going. The night then moved to a discussion around the memorandum of understanding between Boston Public Schools and the Boston Teachers Union, um, which has come to an agreement that was voted on last night by the uh, school committee. Um, several people had comments on this. What did you think? Right. So the superintendent uh, laid out the plan uh, that was um, that was essentially voted on by the school committee members. And in here are the highlights of this plan. Um, superintendent was clear that the plan is focused on students and what they need during time, that there will be a 20 hour per week schedule um, for teachers, which is pretty consistent with the other large urban districts around the country. Uh, 15 hours of these 20 hours would be synchronous learning time and student instruction. This is when teachers and students are online together uh, engaging in, in teaching and learning. Five hours of asynchronous time. Um, where uh, teachers are communicating with students at least every three days, checking in, maybe uh, doing additional planning um, during that time, and then five hours of professional development time in total um, in order to prepare for um, in order to prepare the content for for the 15 hours of synchronous time. Um, that in fact they would suspend the evaluation process during remote learning, but memos would be uploaded at the end into teachers into, into teachers evaluations uh, i guess to sort of tell how well teachers have done in remote learning even though there is no evaluation process um, mm. they also noted that the district had the ability to have teachers work their whole contractual time if necessary and i they didn't elaborate on that um jill what was really interesting so, so overall what's interesting is teachers um are required to teach 15 hours of synchronous time each week, which is about three hours a day, which seems to be um, around the norm around the country mm -hmm. um, with five additional hours of professional development uh, or five additional hours of other time of communication. Um, what, what they didn't mention um, were other members within the teacher bargaining group, um, such as uh, guidance counselors or school nurses or paraprofessionals. They didn't really discuss what their role is in in learning. Um, right. So I imagine they have an agreement around that. I'm hopeful they do. Um, what really stood out to me is that they 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 didn't do a, another agreement or the same agreement with uh, food service workers or uh, bus drivers or the administrative union. These are all separate unions from the Boston Teachers Union, um, and you would imagine that the district would would work out an agreement with all of our unions about how they'll be working during this time. Uh, but nobody discussed at the school committee meeting uh, any of the other bargaining units um, separate from teachers. That's a really good point. And so the, the folks who are involved in those unions um, are not necessarily working right now, and nor do we know what requirements um, there are as part of their jobs, um, but they are being paid by the school system, I would imagine. Yes, yeah, so I, I believe, uh, which is really from from many experts, is that you know keep people employed clearly during this during this pandemic. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I believe these uh, uh, bargaining unit members are being paid uh, from substitute teachers all the way through uh, bus drivers and and um, administrative staff. The um, but but we should be clear as a school system 
about what we expect them to be doing during this pandemic, during this time of remote learning, when we have so many students who need support, um, how are we all engaging in the effort to support our students? Right. Well, yeah, even just on the topic of delivering meals um, to students, you know, we, we obviously have the infrastructure to do that and, and just what our expectations around that in terms of how do we leverage assets that we have um, when so many things have been sidelined. It's a really good point. Um, Michael O'Neill had some additional um, questions for the superintendent, as did, uh, well, actually a number of people did. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the highlights of questions from the um, committee members? Sure. So Chairman O'Neill was that, or sorry, Michael O'Neill was asking um, about the, uh, when would this end? You know, when would this agreement end? Um, and so it was clear that the agreement would end on the last day of school, on June 26th is the last day, 185th day of school of the school year. Um, so this agreement is just till the end of this year. And so you could imagine that if there was a summer, summer school or if we needed remote learning for next year, that a new agreement would need to be reached. Um, even, if, even if DESE decides that it, we're not ending the school, like the school year is going to end on April 2nd, does that, how, does that, how would that affect us? Um, well, well, so teachers, Boston. I'm making up the team, number, by the way. The, the date. <laughs> well, I don't know exactly, but but, it, but um, so if Desi said the school year lasted past June 26th, yeah, um, there would need to be a new agreement reached between the BTU and BPS around their teaching the expectations for teachers. Okay. Um, huh. um, the the financial implications were discussed. So uh, Mr. O'Neill also asked, you know, what would be the financial implications for uh, you know teachers who work in extended learning day schools. Um, or other different conditions. And uh, what was noted is that teachers are paid, and really every employee was paid the, the amount according to when their school last, when the school closed. Right. So if you're receiving additional pay for additional hours, you continue to receive additional pay for additional hours. Um, that, it, the only thing that would be different would be that if, um, if teachers had get stipends for particular jobs they can't perform when school is closed, um, that they wouldn't receive those stipends. Um, there was there was questions by Dr. Rivera raised around um, how do we ensure that teachers are engaged? What's the accountability? Um, so the, student, the the superintendent discussed that there would be sharing out data around student participation, um, and that essentially things these things will become more evident when she shares the plan with the school committee. Um, it. Um, the, there was questions about synchronous and asynchronous and right. how are families going to understand what these things mean. Um, and so uh, there was uh, a discussion around uh, when the plan is released on Monday, uh, families will have a better understanding of what it means. Um, Mr. Tran discussed uh, students with disabilities and really all of us need to step up and support students with disabilities uh, because sometimes, you know, just remote learning is not going to work and we got to figure out other ways to work with students with different disabilities. Um, and the superintendent really noted here that this is what is really concerning to her and what keeps her up at night. Um, and that she really wants to figure out how we uh, can serve students with disabilities um, in, in a deep way. Um, so that, those, were, those were some of the highlights. I mean, Ms. Robinson noted again around the importance of parent conferences and making sure we're reaching out to parents um, as learning partners. Um, so, you know, it, it, what's clear to me, Jill, is that there, there is an agreement. We know the hours that teachers 
should be working. We're not clear about the role of everybody else in the Boston Teachers Union bargaining group or other bargaining groups. Um, and we're not really sure what the what this all means until we'll see it. I guess we'll see it as families on Monday morning, uh, May 4th, and we'll see a difference there. So then as the night moved on, uh, we moved to the strategic plan, um, which was up for approval with a vote by a school committee. There again, there, you know, this was interesting to me um, because many, I heard many school com committee members say, I'm going to vote yes, but I want us to consider X, Y, and Z. So there just seemed to be a number of caveats um, that were brought up that made me a little bit wonder why it was being approved because some of the caveats have been there, um, haven't been addressed and seem somewhat significant, um, especially really noting how we're going to measure success around the strategic plan. You know, that said, lots of people said there's been amazing work done and that this has really kind of clarified a number of things that the school district should be focused on moving forward. So I'm curious what you thought about the whole discussion. So um, I want to, I think the positives here are, you know, which many of the school committee members discussed were, were about the engagement of the community in this plan. Um, the superintendent team um, did a, a, a number of meetings, went to every school, had different ways of getting feedback from the community, and all of those up into the current strategic plan that we see. Um, so the engagement of the community was really important and, and was was um, was comprehensive. The the way that the strategic plan has developed over time, it has come a really long way. I mean, from from where it was. Um, which some of the, you know, when we first started talking about the strategic plan, it, it was had a different focus. It, it did not really have clear goals. Um, this plan has come a really long way from when it started. And I would argue that that was because of the discussion that was had at school committee um, mm. and, and really engaging as a team around how do we make this better and make this usable for the district. Yeah. Um, with, so I think I think this has come a, a long way, and I think what was noted in this conversation mostly was was around this is a living document. Um, and so when I hear that, I, it, what it tells me is that there are um, it's not totally finalized yet. That there are areas that need to be worked on and continue to be developed. Um, and, and so I, I can highlight a couple of these questions that were raised. Um, you know, Mr. O'Neill. Uh, went back and discussed his concern around uh, measures and the the alignment of the measures in the plan to the goals that are in in the plan and um, and we've discussed this on a few different uh, podcasts around the goals the goals really have they have no numbers in them um, there's no baseline there's no goal set forth for any particular time period um, and the goals don't necessarily reflect uh, the, sorry, the measures don't reflect the goals. Um, they're not direct measures. Um, well, he was talking about the, expectations too, right? Like how, how do we, how do you point everyone at a destination if no one knows what the expectation is? Right. He, he used the term, you, you, if you don't, you have to expect what you expect. Um, right. So anyhow, he, he so, so what Mr. O'Neill said was, I'm concerned about this still. It still hasn't changed. It still hasn't been developed. Um, so the way he, he addressed this was, um, let's, let's use this for the evaluation process. So the way we can get at this is, you know, the school committees, um, uh, essentially what they do is they, they approve major policies 
and they supervise the superintendent. Um, and, and he's correct. The school committee shouldn't get into the nitty gritty of operating plan and, um, and the decisions that are under the purview of the, of the superintendent, but they should take their job very seriously in, in um, evaluating the superintendent. So Mr. O'Neill was clear that um, while, you know, his answers weren't quite, his questions were not answered uh, around alignment of goals and, and um, he, he, he did say, I will, want to bring this up again in the superintendent evaluation process and make sure we have clear goals there that we could hold the superintendent accountable for. Um, it was also clear from other committee members that they're concerned about um, not more work around centering around, centering around English language learners. Um, there was concerns about alignment uh, around high schools. So um, around seven to uh, high schools reformatting to 712, um, adoption of mass core, uh, unintended consequences that would arise from those. Um, so and so, mass core. I mean, adopting mass core. Uh, well, well, I'm in favor of it. Um, I thought that some of the school committee members raised good points about this. Is I mean, it's a massive thing to do, um, especially in certain schools. And so, you know, there's has to be a lot of definition around uh, what are the expectations, how are we going to do that? I suppose what sorts of funding is going to be required in order to enable that? When should we expect that to be accomplished? Um, it, it's a big task. Yes, it, it, it's certainly a big task. And there, and there was questions raised around, you know, are we, are we able to do this right now? You know, we have, we're trying to do this, uh, the superintendent noted that we're trying to make drastic changes in seven high schools. Um, some of which are our most struggling high schools in the district, mm. and we're moving them to 712. We're making them uh, move to MassCore, uh, adopt AB, a, AP. Um, IB was discussed, which is International Baccalaureate. A, AP is uh, Advanced Placement Classes. And we're trying to do a lot of things in a, in a small number of schools that are our most struggling schools. And so there was concern raised around, are we, is this the right thing to do? And are we able to do it? Um, and what we heard the superintendent respond was, um, there would be significant work um, through the operating plan, through department work, and through school leaders that would uh, make these things happen, and that she was going to come back with a high school plan back to the committee. And so what right. we heard, what we heard was, um, there's more to come, right? right. That 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 um, that all of these things were important that were raised by school committee members, uh, but we got a clear indication that this plan is done, it's finalized. Um, let's move on. And, and uh, you know, I, I think we can only hope that we keep on coming back to these important topics that have been raised by school committee members, that the members don't forget these questions, and um, that eventually we get to answers and have these important discussions. Because this right. is about the future of our school system. You know, this is, um, you know, these are things that are massive decisions. And, and if we don't dig into them and be clear about the uh, implications that they may have, we're we're gonna not be able to fix them. Um, you know, these, these are things that are that are really uh, have dramatic change on the school system for years and years. Right. Well, and and it's, I mean, once they gel on metrics and measures, um, it will be very easy, right? It'll be very easy to be transparent about where success is and and where it isn't, and and where you know pivots have to happen in order to meet what expectations are. Um, but you're right. The devil is now in the details. Um, the, the high level document it has been voted on. It was approved um, by all school committee members. And it, it sounds like now um, it's time to get more granular. And that school committee really wants. 
um, the superintendent to do that and for them to do that with her. Uh, so so the, the I, important part, uh, Jill, I would just say on this is, is uh, this is not the first time that this kind of conversation has happened with a with with a school committee. You know, previous superintendents have also gone through the same iterations of of planning. Um, and in order to get a vote, there's typically um, these kinds of conversations, which is let's move to a vote and don't worry, all of your concerns will be addressed in the future. Um, and then what happens is the concerns are forgotten and the district moves on. Um, it's just really important here that we don't forget these concerns and these important conversations. Uh, and that we pay attention uh, to a lot of the things that are in this plan to make sure that they're they're done and done well. That makes sense. So now there were a few other votes um, last night. Do you want to just go through what those were and how the health school committee voted? Sure. So so let's uh, let uh, ending the conversation. On, on the strategic plan, there was a vote uh, unanimously to approve the strategic plan. Um, there was then a, a vote on the Student, Student Opportunity Act, which is an um, essentially a $1.8 million uh, allocation from the state to use new dollars. Um, and, and the district said, you know, we want to increase teacher diversity um, with these dollars. Uh, and so the, the committee, with some questions, voted to approve the application for the Opportunity Act. Um, and then there was uh, a vote on the MOU between the BTU, the Boston Teachers Union and BPS, and that, that passed unanimously. And then lastly, there was a vote for uh, the district to support applying to federal aid, um, stimulus money for the district in the future and other districts around the country uh, to make sure that they have the money they needed um, to to run schools the way right. that they should be run right. um, and that that passed unanimously as well which is great and then there was no public comment no public comment no new business um so there was a lot accomplished in this meeting you know this is a meeting that had a significant number of votes i would say that was very well run and um we you know they all the votes were moved smoothly um uh and it also you know there's a significant amount of uh Contents in this meeting around the BTU contract as well as the strategic plan that we need to continue to pay attention to. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to last night at school committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.